so as I look out, I see a lot of you who I've known for a long time. And I thought, you know, when I moved here, I was only 30. So that was quite a while ago. And up until that point in my life, I'd moved at least 20 times. And so when, this morning it hit me that this is the place where God has really shaped my walk with him. And it's because of a lot of you people that I've looked up to and that have mentored me, that I've sat under your teaching. And so HCC is a really great place, and I'm really glad to be here, happy to be here. Um, I have been missing from here for about 11 years. My husband Rick and I were serving in other places, and I'm going to share about um, a little bit with you about our time in Taiwan. And, um, but before I start, I just need to pray. Is that okay? Let's start in prayer. Father, we count it a tremendous privilege that we are welcome to your throne room. We crown it a great joy to belong to you. And Lord, I find, um, feel so loved to just to be back here at HCC. And thank you so much for the people that make up this body. Lord, this morning we've come to be together, to encourage each other, to learn and hear from you. So Lord, as we present ourselves to you, we ask that you would just cover our minds and help us to hear, give us ears to hear your voice and give us a heart that will respond. For Lord, our life is yours. We want to live to honor you, to show the world what a great God you are. So thanks for meeting with us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, just briefly, I'm with the organization called One Mission Society, and they've been around a long time, since 1901. They are in 78 different countries around the world. What I appreciate most about them is how focused they are on what God has called us to do. They want to make disciples who make disciples. And so the role of a missionary is to go in and help the local church and raise up leaders in that local church and then move on somewhere else. And so last year, over a million people came to know Christ through OMS. What I like about that number is it's not just people who pray to prayer. They won't count someone until they're involved in a, in a discipleship study in a local church. So once they've got somebody plugged in to a discipleship study, then they count them. And last year, more than 6,000 churches were planted with OMS. So my husband Rick and I were in Taiwan. Uh, we went there the end of 2016, and we were in the city called Tainan. It's there on the southwest coast, the oldest city in the island, it used to be the capital. And it is a city where they're very bound to their cultural roots, very, very Chinese roots. And um, yeah, so that's where we were. But I share with you a little bit about Rick. Um, so a lot of you knew him, but I was really blessed to get to be married to him. Um, and probably you know that he passed away in July of this year, just suddenly, surprisingly to me. Sometimes I look back and think, I don't know if it was a surprise to him. Although he didn't have any health issues that we knew of, um, 
That week, the Sunday before, he preached from Psalm 16. And when he got to the verse about, you have shown me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. I mean, he just beamed. I mean, he was just, and that week, he just kept talking about eternity. So I know he's good, <laughs> and uh, it's great to be there with his Lord and Savior. But from the time Rick and I first got married, he often prayed, Lord, make the last years of our life more fruitful than the first. And um, I think that's why we ended up in Taiwan, because of that prayer. And we just had a tremendous, they received us so well there. I feel like what God did is he took us here, these ordinary Missouri people, <laughs> and he plopped us down in a really foreign place, but a place where there's a genuine seeking of truth and of God. And we had so many opportunities to share the gospel and with people who had never heard. And um, Rick had a really fruitful ministry there. He probably has no idea how many people he touched, but there were over a thousand people at his memorial service. So God did that in just a short two and a half years for Rick. We were pastors of an international church. There was a Taiwanese church that had a heart for the foreigners in the city. So we were the English pastors. And our congregation was made up of mostly young people. Like 95% were probably under the age of 40 and from 27 different countries. And so with all that youth and all that diversity, we just had a lot of fun. And we opened up our house. Uh, it was not unusual for, it was unusual for us to have a night at home by ourselves. Let me say it that way. We just, they knew they could come and go as they wanted. The, in the picture down there, the African kids loved to come use our kitchen so they could make real food, you know. They missed their home food. We had Bible studies there. And then this group where they're sitting on a, a sofa, those are really special kids to us. We got the invitation to have an English club at the local university. And so these were master's level biomedical engineers that came. And when they came, we gave them each a Bible. Gideon supplied us with Bibles. And they looked at this, they never seen a Bible. They didn't know anything about Jesus. We took them through the book of John. This is English club. <laughs> so we, they each read one verse at a time. When we get to the end of a section, we'd say, are there any questions? And at first it was all vocabulary words. And then it was so cool to watch how God just gradually started opening their eyes. And they would read ahead for the next week and come prepared with questions. And they'd be underlining in their Bibles. So we had just so much fun. I never knew how fun it would be to share Christ with people who have no preconceived ideas of who Jesus is. Just a blank slate. And you know, Jesus actually says some kind of strange things if you look at it with fresh eyes. So it was really, it was really challenging even to me to answer some of their questions, but it was really fun. Some days we would leave that class almost often. Rick would say, can you believe we get to do this? I mean, it was really, really fun. So these are the people that are some of my closest friends. And a lot of them call me mom. <laughs> And I still get texts almost every day. I'm on the phone with some of them for hours every week. Um, 
and I miss those people. I love those people. I was hoping to go back in March, but here I am. Can anybody guess why? <laughs> yeah, that coronavirus thing. Um, so my life is on pause for a while. I pictured myself in Taiwan here. I was going to go for three months. I'm going to try something new I'll tell you about. But when I'm there, I will be with these people on the weekends to continue discipling them. So Taiwan is a really small place, like only 220 miles north to south, 90 miles east to west, and 23 million people live in that little space. So it's also referred to sometimes as Temple Island because there are over 15,000 Taoist temples there. This is a medium-sized one. There are some much bigger. There are some smaller and um, this picture down at the bottom, I just took a snapshot because one day it hit me. Whenever we stop at a stop sign, I would look around and see how many temples can I count. Because our city was known as having the most temples of any city on the island. It had 2, over 2,500 temples just in our city alone. And seriously, wherever we went, I could see a temple wherever we were walking. Now, the religion in Taiwan is a religion based on fear. I saw fear everywhere there. Their religion is kind of their own mix. It's a folk religion where they have um, mixed Buddhism, Taoism, Confucianism, animism, shamanism, and a lot of ancestor worship, which means we saw a lot of strange things. Most of all, what we saw is that they dominate, this religion dominates the island and keeps them in fear. If anything at all goes wrong in their life, whether they get a flat tire or they have a toothache or they're in an accident, anything that goes wrong, it's because they themselves have made a ghost, an ancestor mad, They've made the spirit world mad somehow. There's angry ghosts that just travel around that nobody's taking care of, so they, they torture people. And, or if it's a big thing that's gone wrong, you've probably made a god mad. And so their religion is totally based on fear. And it's really sad because even though there have been missionaries there for over 100 years, it's still only 3% evangelical Christian, because that fear has such a hold on them. We met people who say, yes, I'm a Christian, but you go to their home, they still have the God shelf, they call it, where they have pictures of their ancestors and little statues of gods, and they have to feed these gods every day. It's just incredible. They have to take care of these gods. They burn paper money to, to the ancestors, the spirit world, to try to make them happy. Um, yeah, it's just totally based on fear, and they need to be set free of that. And I was surprised to read this, that 4.5 million people in Taiwan still have never heard the name of Jesus. Actually, do you know in the world there's between 2 and 3 billion people? Billion. At least 2 billion people who have still don't know anything about Jesus. Isn't that incredible? Um, this means there's no church near them, and they don't even know a Christian. They wouldn't have anybody to ask. They don't, you can ask them, who's Jesus, and they'll look at you with a blank face. So when I return, whenever that is, <laughs> who knows, 
Um, I, I'm going to go live this time in a rural village. I have some very dear friends, Susie and Frank, and they're school teachers. We met them in our English congregation. And they love the Lord. They're kind of quiet behind the scenes people. But they love the Lord and they love children. And Susie was praying that she could get a teaching job in a rural village where children there do not have the resources that they have in the city. And so she and Frank moved to a little, a little village up in the mountains called Liuing. And she said, you know, the kids just run wild and get in trouble and fight and curse. And she had third graders and she's like, God, what can we do for these children? So they found a big house that they rent and they open up the house every day after teaching school. They open up the house for kids to come hang out. And they offer free tutoring. A friend offers free art lessons. They feed them. Uh, they have to tell them, go home at 9 o'clock. You know, the kids love to hang out there. And Susie said to me, Barb, why don't you come back? And you can live in the village with, with Frank and I. And while we're at school, you can open up the house for the women of the village. And I smiled. You know, she told me this right after Rick's memorial. I just thought, oh, Susie, you're so full of ideas. <laughs> That's not for me because you know I don't speak Chinese. And in the village, they're not going to be a lot of English. And especially the older women are not going to have English. And Susie smiled and said, oh, Barb, don't you think if God wants you to come, he'd provide a translator? Oh, yeah, I guess he could. <laughs> but what I didn't know is that God had already provided a translator, a woman in Australia, a Chinese woman who has lived her adult life in Australia. She's married to a commercial airline pilot. Contacted OMS and said, I really feel like I'm supposed to volunteer for three months in Taiwan. And um, at the time she called our field director, Mark said, well, okay, I don't know what to put you to work doing yet, so let me get back to you. But after I told Mark what Susie said, just thinking it's a funny comment that Susie made, Mark just smiled and said, oh, I know, your translator. And when he called her, her name is Lucinda, when he called her and told her about this village, she started weeping because that was the vision God gave her. She grew up in China in a rural village that was totally dominated by the spirits and the ancestors like this village is. So she's, she's my coworker. I'm her tag-along, I think. Um, and we'll get there sometime. <laughs> okay, at this point, what I want to do is I want to ask you a favor. There is so much I would love to tell you about this little village and what it looks like to live in a place where there has never been any Christian influence. Never. This little village is actually known to the Taiwanese as the village of angry ghosts. Nobody wants to move there. Never been any Christian influence. Their oldest temple is from 1585. So think, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, generation after generation, these people have never heard of Jesus. My, Frank, my friends, Frank and Susie, are the first Christians to ever live in that village. They love the Lord, and they want Jesus to be known there. And they're not missionaries, they're teachers. They don't have a support group behind them praying. And so what I want to ask of you, would you, if you're in a small group, would you invite me to your small group and let me share with you more about this village and what it looks like to live in such a dark, dark place? 
I really want to raise up a team that's just going to pray for Frank and Susie. They're being hit hard with some things. The darkness doesn't let go easily. And so I'm just going to be bold and say, you know what I was hoping for? Is that HCC would like adopt this little rural village called Liuing in prayer. Because now they're getting to hear. These children at Christmas for the first time got to hear about Jesus. But it's a real battle there. So that's my advertisement. Will you invite me to your small group? I would just love to come. Okay, well, the main point of today's message. This week, as I was, I thought I had, was going to talk about something else, but you know, I'm paying attention to the news lately, uh, reading morning and night about coronavirus. I, I just am really curious. You know, I know I'm stuck here because of that at this point. And I thought, you know, I'm seeing the word fear everywhere. I would hear words like, you know, panic, look at the grocery stores, They're, the shelves are being cleared off, you know. Uh, the confusion, the uncertainty of how long this will last. And I'm standing in the grocery store and I'm hearing fearful talk. And um, I'm not going to share with you about fear because I'm an expert on fear. I'm going to share with you about fear because I know how to fear, okay? And, and I do believe God wants to encourage us. This statement by Oswald Chambers says, The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. So that's the main point I want us to hear today. You know, before we went to Taiwan, it was just like a mad rush there at the end to getting rid of everything we own and packing. And, and I was actually, I can remember packing and just being overcome with fear because right before we were going to move to Tainan, there was a dengue fever outbreak. There were 30,000 cases of dengue fever in our city. 30,000 cases, and the hospitals were full. And um, there had been an earthquake two weeks before our plane ticket, and in that earthquake, 143 people died. Now, dengue fever and earthquake are something new to me, and I was having a little bit of fear about that. And, you know, living in a foreign country, sometimes my mind would see and hear things that I just can't make any sense of. And this is one of those. We get there, and we're in the middle of an epidemic of dengue fever, and we hear, <laughs> oh, those who are really devout Buddhists, they even refuse to kill a mosquito. <laughs> okay, we're, we're getting dengue fever because he's, nobody wants to kill the mosquitoes. This is does not work for me. So my new normal was lathering up with insect repellent every time before I go out. But um, yeah, so I had a lot of fear. And there are other things. We'd been to China for a short-term mission trip. We'd been to Taiwan several times. I knew there are other things to be afraid of, like the food. Like one time some friends take us to eat with them and we're at a sidewalk stall. And uh, as we're standing in line, I think, oh, this must be a good place. There's a long line, right? And then I notice that, of course, there they never use paper or plastic. Nothing throwaway, okay? So there, this person that works there is taking the stack of 
dishes to the curb, and there she has a hose, and she's hosing them off and shaking them off, and they go back in the pile where I'm about to go through and pick up a plate. <laughs> and I'm thinking, ah, I have this fear of getting sick from eating there, right? But I never did. We never got sick from eating there. Interesting. Um, but just lots of fears, maybe some of them irrational. I was sure we were going to die in traffic. I was sure of it. I really thought, you know, God, I want us to go at the same time, so this must be it. We're going to go in a trap. They have rules, but they don't really apply the rules. And so there can be, look like four lanes of traffic, but six or seven vehicles squeezed in those four lanes and some on the wrong side going the, you know, somebody can come right at you. And scooters everywhere, little elderly people pedaling bikes as if nothing's going on all around them. And um, yeah, just really crazy. I thought we would die in traffic every day. I'm praying all the time we're traveling. <clears throat> but a lot, of, a lot of fear just overcame me. And when I got on the plane, first we fly from here to San Francisco. Once we get on the San Francisco plane, now I can settle in. I have 16 hours nonstop to Taipei. So... I realized when I collapsed in my seat, I was trembling. I mean, like, I have so much fear. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why are we doing this? You know? Um, even though God had been so good to tell me over and over, give me all these confirmations, this is what I want you to do, I just was really struggling at that point. So what do I do when I'm distressed? I pull out the Word, I pull out God's Word, and I always go to Psalms. I love the Psalms. I love how, how open David is with his emotions in the Psalms and how um, God has always used the Psalms to comfort me. So I'm going to make a... Usually when I make slides with Scripture, I know the background should be plain. But I wanted to show off Taiwan a little bit. <laughs> so this is actually in Tainan. We lived in one of those high-rise apartment buildings down at the end of this canal. So we got to walk along this canal. It was just a two-mile walk to the ocean. That's how close we were to the Taiwan Strait. If you hear about the Taiwan Strait in the news, you can picture us right there. <clears throat> so this is Tainan. But Psalm 112, God got my attention. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're just going to look at a few verses, actually just three from this psalm. But I hope this afternoon you'll go home and read the whole psalm. It's a great picture of what it looks like to be blessed by the Lord. And I'm just picking out the three verses that talk about fear. Okay, so we're talking about fear this morning. This first verse says, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Now, when we see the word fear here, this is a good fear. We always think fear's bad, right? But there are good and healthy fears, and the best fear we can have is to have a fear of God. Now, years ago, I heard somebody um, describe what it looks like to fear God, and this has always stuck with me, so I want to share this with you. To fear God means that I live my life in such a way that I fear doing anything that I would offend him, that I fear saying or thinking anything that would displease him. That's what it means to live in the fear of God. And I really want to know what that is. I want to see that in my life because if you read the word much, you're going to see so many promises to those who fear the Lord. 
So to fear the Lord is to live in such a way that your thoughts, your words, your actions, you're really conscious and sensitive of never doing anything that would dishonor Jesus. So the man who fears the Lord, what is the evidence that he fears the Lord? It's, this is a man who greatly delights in God's commandments. And maybe we think commandments is not a good word. <laughs> How many of us like to be told what to do, right? Okay, but um, God gives us his commandments and he says they're not burdensome. He doesn't, this is full of his instructions. Maybe that's a better word than commands, but he says this is not burdensome. When I tell you what to do, God says I'm showing you how to live a life, the full abundant life that I want for you. If you'll just pay attention to what I say, you're going to be the person who is blessed now, what does blessed mean to you? What does it mean? What does it look like to be blessed? Is a person blessed if they have good health? Is a person blessed if they're wealthy and famous? Well, sometimes we think so. But do you know I know some wealthy people that are definitely not blessed. And I, I have met some really poor people who are extremely blessed. And I've been around people who have great health issues and all that comes out of their mouth is praise. And that's a blessed person. So if when you're praying for God's blessing, if all you're focused on is health and wealth and success, you're limiting God. You're, asking, you're, you're expecting way too little. God has more to give you than that. He wants us to know that in the midst of of great trial and storms and panic attacks and coronavirus and tornadoes and falling stock markets, in the middle of that, you know you're blessed if, in, if that doesn't rattle you inside. If you have this deep down secure confidence that the almighty God who you belong to, he's in control. You know, and if he's in control, really what do we have to be afraid of? Just think of it this way, if he wasn't in control, then we better be afraid, right? But he is in control. So blessed is a man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights. If you greatly delight in something, you're going to make it a priority every day. Is God's word a priority in your life? Are you ordering your life after what he tells us so that you can be the blessed person then in verses, you want to read verses 1 to 6, because there he describes again so many great promises of what it looks like for the person who's blessed. But for time's sake, we're going to skip to verses 7 and 8. It says, they do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. Okay, this is the kind of fear that we're fighting, right? This is the kind of fear I hear talk about. I see on the internet. I see on the news. But for us who belong to the almighty God, the king of kings and ruler over all, we don't need to fear bad news. We can confidently trust that God will care for us. We can be known as confident and fearless people. And do you know how, we'll stand, how we stand out 
to the rest of the world? In a time like this, when everybody's worried with all the uncertainty, all the confusion that's going on, if they're watching us, they are. If you claim to be a Christian, you're being watched by the unbelievers around you, and you better believe that. And they want to see, how are you going to respond to all this crisis? How are you going to respond to all this panic? Are you going to have the blessing of the Lord ruling your heart to show them what a great God he is, that we can trust him, he's in control? All right, well, this picture is a picture of the mountains where I'm going to go live in a little rural village someday. (laughs) Okay, then I'm still sitting on the airplane, and, you know, God has just walked me through Psalm 112. I flip the page, and my eyes fall on Psalm 115. And again, this is an interesting psalm. Um, Some of the verses talk about they have gods that cannot see, that have eyes that cannot see, and ears that cannot hear, and feet that cannot walk. And I thought, this is Taiwan. There are gods everywhere. They serve so many gods because their gods can each only do one thing. See, not at all like our God, right? So... So anyway, then I get to verses 9 through 13, and I'm going to start in 11 here. It says, all you who fear the Lord, there's that healthy fear. Then it says, trust the Lord. He is your helper, and he is your shield. See, I'm sitting in this airplane seat, trembling, because I'm not trusting. Do you know how many times in the Word God says, don't be afraid, Trust me. He says that over and over. Fear not, for I am with you. You can trust me. And I remember reading a quote, I think it was by Matthew Henry years ago. It said, what greater insult than can there be than to not trust what God has said? You know, think about that. If, if your spouse says something to you and you say, oh, I don't believe you, how hurtful that is. And yet, I know we don't say to God, Oh, I don't believe that you're my helper. I don't believe that you'll protect me in this coronavirus. But we act like it when we live in fear. So God was actually rebuking me. He said, Barb, (laughs) here you are. You know you're going to a place ruled by fear. First of all, you're not obeying me. I said, trust me. This is a command. This is not a suggestion. Trust me. And God showed me that by not obeying this command, trust the Lord, that is the sin of unbelief. So this is where I feel like is key to defeating fear in my own life. You know, I don't pray against it because I don't believe God is so interested in instant deliverance. I know God can absolutely do that, but I know in my life, he's more concerned about the process that's going on in my heart. Why am I fearful in the first place? So when I have these negative emotions, it's like God waving waving a red flag saying, hey, stop and pay attention. What's going on in your heart? Where are you? What are you believing? Are you trusting me? Are you living in the sin of unbelief? Once I see that my fear and my worry are sin, then you know what I do? All I have to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I 
see how wrong it is for me to live in this unbelief. I am sorry, God, that, that I know that offends you, that has to hurt you, that I'm not trusting you. And you know the great thing about our God? When we know we've sinned, he doesn't expect us to go do something really good, give all our money away, or work really hard so that we can get his favor again. That's not our God. Our God says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So he knows we're going to mess up. I mean, he knows. He made us. We're human. We're not ever going to get it all right all day, every day. It's just not going to happen, okay? We're frail. And God knows that, and he loves us. And he says, all you got to do is just say, forgive me, Lord. First John 1, 9, confess your sins to God, and he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And he doesn't condemn us. When I go to him at 10 o'clock and say, God, I know, I know I'm living in the sin of unbelief. And then I go to him at 11 o'clock and go, here I am again living in the sin of unbelief. He doesn't say, oh, Barb, why don't you get your act together? That's not God. He just says, he is a God of compassion. He just loves us. And he kept talking to me through this verse saying, you trust me because I am your helper. Now just think about that, Barb. If I am your helper, who else can help you better than me? I couldn't think of anybody that could help me better than God. And he says, I am your protector. I am your shield. Do you need more than that? Really? I want to believe what he says. I want to live in the fear of God so that I don't offend him. And then he said to me, the Lord remembers us, is the next verse. He says, Barb, I'm not going to forget you. You're on my heart. You're on my mind. You're always in my sight. I will not forget you. I'm going to bless you there. I will bless those who fear the Lord, both the great and the lowly. And I go, yay, God's going to bless me, the lowly. Right? I don't have to be this, you know, significant person who does great and mighty things. I'm just an ordinary, lowly person. And he blesses me because I fear him. Oh, I forgot to tell you about that picture. <laughs> so, Taiwan has great beaches. If you like scuba diving, snorkeling, surfing, swimming in the ocean. If you want to come on a mission trip while I'm there, you can come stay with me for a week or two. That would be great. I'll put you to work and we'll go see some of these places. <laughs> okay? But some of... Uh, and if you can see in this picture, there's very few people in the water, just to show you how fear dominates their life. The people that are in the water there are probably foreigners. Taiwanese will not get in the water because they believe the people who have died at sea, their ghosts are in that water, and if they get a hold of you, they're going to pull you down. So Taiwanese don't use these beaches, and there's great surf. I know where the great surfing is. I've never done that. I know where there's some good snorkeling. I've done that. That's pretty cool. Um, so anyway, and I'm serious. If you want to take a mission trip to Taiwan, talk to me. And whenever I know that I'm going, I know I'm going to go for three months to start with, um, you're welcome to come. I'd have a place for you to stay. Okay. So at this point, I'm such a teacher, I want to say, any questions? <laughs> but I know that's not appropriate. But I do want you to know that I'm going to stay up here. Um, and if you'd like to talk to me or like me to pray for you, I'd be more than welcome to, to do that. I also want to tell you that um, 
I have these cards out on the information desk. They're just cards with my information. I put a scripture on there. You can pray for me and my contact information when you want to invite me to your home <laughs> to share with you more about Liuing. Can you say Liuing? It's kind of a weird word. Liuing, Taiwan, where these people live in a very dark place, and we can penetrate that place with our prayers. An old missionary once said that he, I wrote it on my card, Christians at home can do as much for foreign missions as those actually on the field. I believe it will only be known on the last day how much has been accomplished in missionary work by the prayers of earnest people back home. And I believe that. God calls us all to care about the lost. There's lost all around us, here and overseas. And we're all here to build up his kingdom, to bring as many people with us as we can, right? To, get us, to go to heaven with us. Some of us are called to go, some are called to send, and some are called to just be those prayer warriors. Such an important job. So we all have a part. And uh, I'm grateful that I was able to share with you this morning.